Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Friday night. Just going to talk about on a Sunday night because we have championship games in this sport on a Monday instead of a Saturday. We don't have control over that, but what we do have control over is essentially talking about everything that's going to happen in this stadium behind me. We are live and jam-packed in Los Angeles, California, in these shadows, chilly shadows, might I add, of SoFi Stadium. We got wall-to-wall national championship talk tonight. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think has to happen for TCU to pull what I would call the biggest upset in modern college football history, not just the game. I understand how point spreads work. I understand we've had bigger upsets. I'm talking about the season in totality. I'm also going to talk about what is probably statistically more likely to happen in keys for Georgia. Uh, But that's not all that's going on in college football. There's a lot. I mean, a lot of smoke around Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Is he going to be in the NFL this time next year or that next week? For that matter, I will discuss. I also think, guys, I've told you this before, I'm not letting the national championship game distract us from the fact that we could be on the precipice. We could be on the precipice now of some big coaching moves that none of us, maybe even myself included, see coming. We will discuss tonight. I'm also going to talk about bold predictions that went right, bold predictions that went wrong, and we'll take a little dive into the late kick mailbag as well. They're watching us in Milton, Florida, Annapolis, Maryland, Grapevine, Texas, Dallas, Georgia, Paper Pop, we're at the National Championship game, and we're ready to go. We appreciate you guys so much for being tuned in. Let's talk about the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, I don't use language like repeat. I do use repeat. I don't use defending, though. That's true. I don't use defending national champion. Because the fact of the matter is nobody can take last year's national championship from Georgia. doesn't matter. Short of the NCAA coming down, and on this show, we don't even acknowledge when they do take national championships. Nobody can take that. They're not defending anything tomorrow night. But what they do have is a very formidable opponent. What has to happen for Georgia to win this game tomorrow night? Well, some of you may think if they show up, you know, if the bus doesn't break down, they'll be okay. I would caution you that I don't really think you get this late into the season. 
and have an easy road. Sometimes games are blowouts, and you'll talk to coaches sometimes, and they'll say, hey, I know we won the game by 30. That was not an easy game. Conversely, you'll talk to them sometimes, they won by 13, and they'll tell you, we really never doubted during the game. It's just the way it played out. For instance, Georgia-Tennessee this year, game played out the way it did. It's not a massive margin of victory. Game was never in doubt. How does this game have to play out? I'm thinking about three phases, okay? Everyone's going to talk about Stetson Bennett, or everyone's going to talk about Georgia's corners, or everyone's going to talk about how many non-offensive points TCU can score. Well, how about this? What if I guaranteed you, in padlock stat fashion, Georgia just plays B minus or better football in all three phases. If you guaranteed me that on this Sunday evening here in Inglewood, California, I would tell you that Monday evening, you're going to see red and black confetti raining down in that building behind us. B minus or better. They don't have to thread the needle like TCU does. So essentially what I'm saying to you is avoid disaster. Here's the follow-up to that though. You can't play not to lose. You can't play conservatively. you got to let your horses run. It's been a familiar theme on the show all week. We've talked like that all week. So it's not, it's not that you just play not to lose. It's not that. But, man, if you, if you just play B- minus or better football, nothing has happened so catastrophic as to allow TCU to beat you unless they just take the game from you. Okay? And I, I believe this spread is as fat as it is accurately and for a reason. So I don't think a heads-up game favors TCU. They have to have some things go really specially right for them. Another key for Georgia, two words, protect and strike. Talked earlier this week about pressure rate. Georgia is seventh in the country in pressure rate allowed. TCU is 100th in the country defensively in pressure rate against opposing quarterbacks. Sometimes you have anomalies statistically. Sometimes there's just a game where this stuff right here and what you see on the field don't really match up. We just saw that for the record when TCU played Michigan. Crazy things have happened. What I am telling you, though, is I think it would be a big mistake for Kirby Smart, Todd Munkin to look at this and say, you know what? We've got a size advantage. We've got a physicality advantage. Let's just lean on them. Michigan was foolish enough to think that. It didn't work. And, and it, I'm not saying it wouldn't work for Georgia. I'm just saying if you're trying to put your guys in the best position to win, that's not necessarily the best way to go about this tomorrow night. Also, keep in mind, I've heard a lot of folks talking about how Georgia's receiving profile looks like this. Georgia's statistical profile looks like that. Georgia doesn't have the same team now they did in October, guys. It's very fruitless, I think, at this point, to be pulling up passing statistics and thinking that you're gauging what you're getting from Georgia Monday night because of what this piece of paper says. A.D. Mitchell is not on that list. He's going to be on the field Monday night. He was on the field against Ohio State. Arian Smith, not going to be anywhere on that list for the most part. He was on the field against Ohio State. Both those guys found the end zone. So when you pair him with guys like Brock Bowers, and then you throw in that pressure allowed versus pressure forced statistical mismatch, you got to pounce on it. You can't sit back. you got to go take the game. The third thing is I am not a believer that you're going to shut down Quentin Johnson. Or if you do so, you do it at the expense of leaving other guys open. I don't think Georgia has to shut down Quentin Johnson. What I do think it would greatly behoove them to do is, oh, I don't know, tackle. Um... There's a lot of talk. Any coach that I talked to this week, they didn't, they didn't question Georgia's defensive makeup. They didn't question scheme. They didn't question anything like that. They did talk about the difference in pass defense, just as a holistic statistic, which rhymes, by the way. But they talked about how if you can ISO Georgia's corners in man coverage, make them play the ball in the air, make them defend a guy, that's probably where they're most susceptible. Ohio State found that out, or at least put that on display last week. Tennessee did not find a way to do that earlier this year. They're going to get theirs. 
hey, TCU is going to throw the ball on you enough tomorrow night where inevitably guys are going to catch some passes. What do you do afterwards? Because it's the yards after catch and the explosive play rate for TCU that I'm going to talk more about in just a second that will ultimately be one of the biggest keys to this game. You may look at that final score from TCU last week and you may think, it must have been an explosive play fest. Well, it really wasn't. Now, those of us, those of you who watched the game, you understand how it played out. It's okay if they catch a few balls. Just don't let them break off 30 extra yards afterwards. Against Georgia, we've seen all year, as some of these teams, especially when they get in these postseason settings, you're more likely to score on them from midfield, especially if their red zone defense is as good as Georgia's is. You're more likely to score via explosive play between the 40s than you are inside the 20s, which makes no sense. I'm not asking you to make it make mathematical sense. I'm just telling you that's the way it plays out sometimes from a stat profile perspective. The last thing that George is going to have to do, and this is normally what you would say to the underdog team, but I'm not going to say it to TCU. George has got to weather the storm. It's very foolish to think that team's going to roll over. That TCU team's not rolling over. It's way too late in the season to be facing someone who's going to posture themselves like that for you. And here's the other thing. One team rolls in knowing they're better than the other one. Let's just call it like it is. One team understands they've got to use tactics that probably they didn't feel like they had to use against Kansas State. They didn't feel like they necessarily had to pull out of the bag against Texas Tech. It's all got to be on the table. Essentially, the same approach you saw versus Michigan has to be on the table with the volume turned up maybe to 11. See that catch, Greg? Turned up to 11 against Georgia. Be that as it may, that means you probably have a little storm to weather. There's nothing more aggravating in sports or in life than when you think you are superior to someone and they ju they just start clipping you. They start nipping at you. It's very aggravating. It's very aggravating, for example, if you've got an offensive line that outweighs the defensive front they're facing by 20 or 30 pounds on average, but their quickness just keeps getting to you and you're not able to open holes. You saw Michigan. You think Michigan wasn't aggravated last week? And then when they start giving up points, that's the storm. You have to weather that storm. Yeah, eventually, your recruiting, your skill, your coaching staff, you got to count on it to take over. That doesn't mean it takes over in the first quarter. They don't play these things in 15-minute increments. They do them in 60 minutes because that's how long a football game has to be. Sometimes it takes like 50 or 55 of those 60 minutes for it to finally wear on your opponent. So weathering the storm, another big key for Georgia. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. One of the big keys for us all year, Colin, if you're listening back in Nashville, that's the end of that segment. One of the big keys for us all year has been that we've been on the road, what, Greg, 17, 17 weeks in a row now, I think, uh, especially if you count Elite 11. Could not have done it without Academy. Academy Sports and Outdoors, at every turn, when we have asked, can we do this? I said, stop asking. Just go do it. And, and here, here are 50 Academy gift cards to take with you per week. We appreciate it so much. We're coming out of the holiday season. A lot of you found out the easy way. Academy is the one-stop shop for everything you need for essentially everybody in your life, unless they're a total recluse, in which case, just buy them Dungeons & Dragons, you're good. But if you have someone who is an outdoors type, you have someone who actually semi-lives their life, Academy Sports and Outdoors, the place for you. Now, granted, we're in a place here in Los Angeles where we don't have an academy on every street corner, but we do have internet, and it's working really good here at SoFi for those of you coming to the game tomorrow. So academy.com, if you can't get there in person, is your one-stop shop, and everything you see here, you see for free because of them, which is just a blessing of untold proportions in our business when we don't have to put what we do behind a paywall We give it to you free, and we can go on the road, and we can do these shows. And those of you who have been with me for a while, you know that it hasn't always been that way, and it is now, and I appreciate and thank Academy for it. And I encourage you to do the same via visiting the store or going to academy.com. How? How does TCU win this game if it happens? I want to bounce some things off of you. Because as you do your research and you look at the bigger point spread underdogs in championship games, whether it be this side of the fence of college football or the Super Bowl, you find some pretty alarming statistics to favorites. These things sometimes produce outright upsets when you have point spreads around this margin. At least those are the ones you remember. Forget about all that because it doesn't matter tomorrow night. I want to get that out of the way because it's going to be spoken about a lot over the next 24 hours. But what does have to happen? First thing, the number four. Got a good coaching buddy of mine. We chopped this up earlier this week. I was thinking three. He was thinking four. But the magic number, let's just call it four. And that magic number is the combination of special teams plays or big turnovers. If you take all of those and they add up to four or more, ideally for TCU, at the very least you've got a four-quarter game, you could have an outright upset on your hands. I know that's easier said than done because everyone gets drunk on thinking about the reward in those kinds of propositions. As you and I well know, there's also risk in that proposition, but what are you going to do? The alternative is pulling out of here and heading to Fort Worth after the game tomorrow night, knowing you left bullets in your chamber. You certainly don't want to do that. And so, four. If you think three, maybe three. I think four. Secondly, and this is pretty common sense, this is pretty obvious, uh, but I think they need to do more of it. they got to hit explosive plays. Now, this is a key anytime you face Georgia. It, Believe it or not, it's not always the key to winning a game, but... A lot of games, this one included, it will be. I think Georgia will hit some. Okay, so the, the reality is, for TCU, you may very well be having to either match points or, or you may find yourself in catch-up mode. You can't just assume that you're going to bang, bang, bang right out of the gate like you did against Michigan. 
what you've got to be able to do to stay in it is hit a, a, a explosive plays because there will be no methodical drives, or at least it would very much surprise me if TCU went on one or two methodical, you know, 13-play, 86-yard, 8-minute, 47-second time of possession drives tomorrow night. If they do, hats off, I'm wrong about them. That's not necessarily the way you're going to dent the scoreboard against Georgia, and they've got to take advantage of it via Quentin Johnson. They've also got to take advantage of it via Max Duggan's legs. I don't ever watch a game where Max Duggan plays and say he left anything in the tank. So this is just another one of those games where he's got to empty the tank. Uh, it will give you fits. You know, it's it's one thing if you've got a statue back there and you're trying to account for a guy like Quentin Johnson. Difficult, but doable. But, you know, when, when you're playing man, which Georgia plays a whole lot of, and those clearing routes open up run for a quarterback and that quarterback options to run, it doesn't take long before that's in the back of a defender's mind, and uh, explosive plays lead to more explosive plays in that matter. Explosive play rate, got to be edge TCU. It wasn't last week, actually, against Michigan. It's got to be this week. Thirdly, if you'll watch the way TCU plays, okay, the mesh is a big point of emphasis. And offensively, they screw with you a lot. And there is a school of thought out there. Again, when it comes to feedback I've gotten from coaches this week, there's a school of thought that Kirby Smart and even previously when he coached under Saban, sometimes Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, sometimes those defenses, which are extremely complex, which use a whole lot of pattern matching, which caused you to know how to do a lot of things and react to a lot of things simultaneously on the field, sometimes they get a little too complicated against offenses which can screw you up at the mesh point like TCU does. And when you just subtly watch what they do in the backfield, you may have to watch it a couple of times unless you're watching as a coach in which you see it immediately. You watch how many guys enter that frame. You watch how many guys are at that mesh point. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four. And those linebackers sometimes can get caught in the wash because of that. So if you want to know how we revert back to point number two, how does TCU win the explosive play game? Well, you may do it like that. Doesn't always have to be a bomb. There doesn't always have to be an arc on that pass. Sometimes it's a pass underneath. Sometimes it's a simple crossing route. Sometimes it's an H-back that angles out. After that mesh confuses those linebackers, crazy things can happen. That has to happen a lot for TCU, but crazy things can happen. And here's the last point. It's really tough sometimes when you look at these big games and you look at the Big setting. Everyone blows it up. I'm not going to say out of proportion. This is absolutely, it's the national championship game. Of course, it's huge. Uh, we're, we're outside in 50-degree weather. So, yes, obviously, it's a really, really big deal. If you can turn a 60-minute game into a 15-minute game, point spreads don't matter anymore. Um, recruiting rankings and talent level still matters. But the gap, obviously, between the totality that that takes over 60 minutes versus it's 23 to 23 entering the fourth quarter. We got to weather this thing for 15 more minutes. Guys, that comes down to a couple of possessions per team. That comes down to a couple of plays per team. Now, big-time players normally still make those plays, but at that point, the cumulative effect of having all those four- and five-star players versus your lack thereof, number one, I think, can be more than made up for in a 15-minute interval because TCU's got more experience than just about any team you'll see at this level, uh, short of, like, BYU. And secondly, the intangible of pressure is a real thing. And I don't know how to quantify it, so I don't really talk about it a whole lot. But it's, it's hard to repeat. That's something Georgia's been dealing with all year. So, so forget about how hard it is to repeat um, in theory. Just think about getting there. Okay, Think about how 
you had some things that you thought would probably work and get you margin in the game. Well, if this scenario plays out and it's a tie game or it's very close entering the fourth quarter, that didn't happen. So a lot of the things that you thought would knock them out early didn't happen. And it surprises you sometimes. When you do think you're superior, Georgia absolutely does. And you look over and you've landed shots and that guy's still standing, kind of like Ohio State was last week. That guy's still standing. It does something to you. And all of a sudden you realize, well, there's the finish line over there. We're not in round three or round four. This is an old school fight. Round 13, round 14, he's still standing. Are we going to have to win on points here? Are we going to have to count on the judges? What's going to happen here? My point is, if you make this a 15-minute game, which combines all of these keys we just talked about, don't think for a second an upset can't happen. I think it's really interesting, as you look at the, the 12 or 13-point spread on this game, sometimes you know, we try and describe how a point spread is formulated by thinking of games as being simulated a thousand times, and that's just the average. Georgia wins by 12 and a half on average. But here's the thing. Some games are more high variance than others. Some have a higher potential volatility rate. And that just means there is a wider margin of potential outcome. If you were to look at a scatter plot of those thousand outcomes, when, when Iowa plays Wisconsin, there is not a big scatter plot. It's like back in the day. I used to love betting two-team seven-point teasers in NFL playoffs because when the Jags, congratulations, by the way, to Jacksonville, when the Jags or the Titans or the, or the uh, Steelers, when they would play each other, it was just a three- or a seven-point game every single time. This game's not like that. There is a 40-10 to 10 Georgia victory in the cards tomorrow night. There is a 31-24 to 24 TCU win in there. There's a lot of variance to the potential outcome here. So just because you see a 13-point spread, it doesn't mean that an upset is nearly as unlikely as a normal 13-point spread would make you think. Because of the dynamic that TCU's offense has, and because of the dynamic they have in regards to winning, you know, those non-offensive point battles, doing a lot of things, stealing possessions, and those things matter so much. So as I see it, those are the keys to the way that this game could happen tomorrow night. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. Show's not over. Not nearly over. I got a lot to talk to you about, actually. Uh, but make sure, if you are tuned in, I'm just reading some of the live chat right now, irresponsibly so, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Do not tune out after the national championship game is over, okay? Don't be a casual. We do this thing all year. We don't shift over to NBA. God bless you if you do. We don't. I don't care what the Wizards or Jazz do this year. We would much rather talk about the Iowa State spring roster than that. We do this all year. So hang with us, subscribe, and tell 10 of your friends while you're at it. Okay. I had a question. had a number of questions, actually. So what we're going to do here is let's dive into the late kick mailbag. And the first question is about bombshell coaching news. And one of you asked, could there be some, some big bombshell coaching moves on the horizon? And my answer is, yes, I think there not only could be, I think there will be. Now, I'm going to mention one name. It wouldn't be a bombshell if Jim Harbaugh left Michigan because it's been in front of your face this whole time, this season and last season. That in and of itself wouldn't be big news. But let me get you caught up to speed with where we are, okay? Right now... As of uh, what it was, 519 here on the West Coast on this Sunday night, Jim Harbaugh is still the head coach of Michigan. I have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow, sure enough, it's the national championship game. Or if you're watching, listening to this tomorrow, today is the national championship game. It's also Black Monday in the NFL. And that is where a lot of folks find out they've been fired. 
That's when you find out which jobs are coming open in the National Football League. I'm not telling you hires are made tomorrow. I'm just telling you there will be a lot of people in our industry working the phones for a lot of different fronts, not just TCU versus Georgia. So you've heard some smoke about Denver, and he's going to interview for that job. I still question whether the guy's going to interview, period. Like my whole sticking point, I know Sam Webb over with the Michigan Insider has made this point as well. I think he's dead on the money right. I don't know that Jim Harbaugh is willing to interview. Uh, or if he's willing to interview, it means he pretty well knows he's got that job. Because you, I, I'll say, I'll say it. It sounds pretty definitive. I don't think you can put your program and organization through again what you did last year. Uh, to refresh everyone's memory, the dude literally interviewed for the Vikings job on National Signing Day. Unlike anything I've ever seen. And the fact that he came back and they went to the playoff anyway boggles my mind. That, that is the reason for the mind-blown emoji, what Jim Harbaugh in Michigan did over the past year. If he goes and interviews for that Denver job, whether he gets the Denver job or not, I, I think that means he is essentially out the door. If it doesn't, you know, and the NFL doesn't want Jim Harbaugh, which is part of this equation potentially, by the way, you've got a lot of folks who were grateful and thankful he came back that would even start looking at him saying, really? What are we doing right here? You're putting out statements that you're probably going to be back. Those who stay will be champions. Like, who in the world are you to tell us that when you interview for every job that potentially comes open at the next level? Watch that one. But that's not the story here because that would be very much on the radar. That's going to distract you from other potential bombshells is what I'm trying to tell you. So there's a lot of smoke in our industry right now. I'm not putting a single name out there tonight because I cannot independently verify any of these names. Um, how should I put this responsibly? Got to be careful because we're live. There are major college football head coaches that publicly are aggravated with how college football is operating right now. Privately, they are enraged and totally fed up with it. And I'm talking about some big boy names. I'm talking about names that we would be coveted by certain NFL franchises. And I don't know if it's going to be this cycle, to be perfectly clear. I'm not telling you anything's a done deal. Nothing like that. No language like that. I'm telling you there's some wheels in motion with some major college football head coaches that look at the state of this sport right now. And it, the foundation is made of the weakest sand imaginable. No one knows what the rules are going to be year to year. No one knows what NIL is going to look like five years from now. You can't keep your roster together. Uh, you got the NCAA just now passing legislation where you can change your staff size for practice not on game day. It's a mess. December alone is a mess. And you got some guys like Kirby Smart warned you about a year ago, Tuesday, essentially, the day after the national championship game, you got some really good college coaches, guys who are really good for the game, head coaches included, who are looking at the pro level saying, I'm going to take a break and go coach pro ball. How insane is that, by the way? I'm going to make it easier on myself and go coach professional football instead of coaching college football. Can you imagine a middle school head coach saying, I got to I got to take a break. I got to go coach high school ball for a little while. Maybe I'll come back to the junior high level one day down the road. But dude, this junior high stuff's just tough. I'm going to go coach high school. I'm going to go coach high school for a little while. Ridiculous. But that's the state of college football right now. Okay, so you're, you got a situation where this is going on behind the scenes. I don't know if any big names are going to move. I know big names are talking about moving. Uh, there is not nearly enough urgency to fix the fixable in this sport. Some things take time. Okay, I'm not telling you that certain portions of what people are fed up with in terms of NIL or the transfer portal, I'm not telling you that you can, you can rectify that stuff overnight. 
quite frankly, I think natural forces may rectify some of that. It just may not be uh, tomorrow or the next day or the next day. In due time, I think those things will rectify themselves. There are. I don't have time to list them tonight. Frankly, the list would stretch all the way into another county. There are very fixable aspects of our sport that don't get fixed because no one knows who the decision maker or decision makers are, respectfully. That goes not for conferences. That goes for the national approach that we take to still policing college football. The NCAA right now is reportedly investigating Michigan. When you read what they're investigating Michigan for, and you juxtapose that with what you know good and well happens in the sport on a day-in and day-out basis, you laugh at it, and if Jim Harbaugh threw his hands up and said, forget this, I'm gone, you, you couldn't blame him. I wouldn't blame him. And so there's a lot of fixable things about the sport that there's not any particular urgency to fix, and it's probably going to take losing some one or maybe multiple high-profile names um, to, to warm the seats up enough under who should be making the decisions um, which is not me yet because no one's elected me. Uh, on day one in office, I take care of some of this stuff. But here's the other thing. I keep mentioning the NFL, and I want to stress, yes, losing college football coaches to the NFL is one threat. It's not the only threat. There is another game in play right now, and it is the television game. And just like you've seen in the NFL, if you follow the more sports business side of college sports or pro sports, you know there is ungodly amounts of money being thrown at putting booths together. Color talent and play-by-play talent. Never before have you seen guys making the kind of money they are. The, the, the lead guys on Sundays are making more than most players in the league make. That's coming to college. It's not quite here yet. It's coming to college. And the reason is because the playoffs are about to be expanded, new media rights deals are being signed, and there is more money than a lot of leagues know what to do with. And what they're going to do is they're going to attract top-level booth talent and studio talent with that money. Sean McVay coaches in this very city, and right now, that guy's thinking about hanging it up. If he hangs it up, he'll get a raise tomorrow because he'll go in a TV booth and make more money than he makes by a long shot, guys, as the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. There are college football head coaches. Up, You can include Nick Saban on this list. I'm not telling you Saban's doing this. I'm telling you that's the highest paid coach in college football. If Nick Saban retired from college football tomorrow, the second he took a TV job, he would get a raise. He would make more money in television. To speak clearly, he would make more money in TV than he does being the head coach at Alabama. That may not appeal to Saban. That may not be the reason he ever steps away, or maybe it will. Who knows? But there are some other coaches who maybe look at the NFL and say, yeah, that's where I'd like to go. How about telling a coach who makes 5.5 or 6 a year, we'll pay you that much or maybe more with incentives added in or revenue sharing and whatnot added in, all kind of creative ways to get in those contracts. We'll pay you more. Just come sit in the studio and talk. Go sit in the booth and talk. It's going to happen. It's going to happen on, on both fronts. You're going to lose some coaches to the pro game. I think in due time we're going to lose a high-profile coach long before you or I think he should retire to the broadcast booth. Interesting times right now in the world of college football. Next question. Good question there, by the way. I appreciate that. Next question. What did I think about Shane Beamer's raise? A lot of you may not have heard about this. There's been a lot going on. We've been in L.A. for the title game. Shane Beamer, sure enough, got himself a raise. Now, if you saw the story, what you probably saw, and if you didn't see it, I'll spoil it for you. 
If you saw the story, you probably saw the big headline, Shane Beamer gets massive raise. Head coach at South Carolina, making $4 million per year more now than what he was making. Yes, that's one way to interpret this news. I would also encourage you to take a look at what he was making, because that's the real story here. Like it was, it was widely talked about inside industry circles that Shane Beamer, man, what kind of bargain did he give South Carolina? But on the flip side, a detractor would say, well, what leverage did Shane Beamer have? He should be happy that they're letting him coach, period, much less paying him to do so. Well, a couple of years went by, and Shane Beamer was, I think, making around 2.5 or 2.7 a year. It's not big money in the SEC. It's not big money in major college football. He was in the 50s in FBS in terms of annual earnings potential for public university head coaches. Anyway, he did exactly what you're supposed to do, and he went and he won games. And he won more games than the experts said he was supposed to win. You hit a couple of overs on those season win totals, and you got the fan base engaged. Oh, and you beat Clemson in the meantime. And guess what happens? You bet on yourself, you prove yourself, and now you get compensated for it. Now, to whom more is being given, more is going to be expected, but he's done all he can, I think, in the first couple of years. I can tell you there were, there were plenty of folks who very publicly doubted his hire. Oh, he's a rah-rah guy. Oh, it's a feel-good story. But you don't win games in spring. You wait until he gets in the grind of an SEC season. Well, I've watched it for two years now, and I've watched him overachieve for a couple of years now, and I just watched him smoke Tennessee this year. I watched him beat Clemson this year. Those aren't things that experts say. Those aren't things that even Vegas says were supposed to be happening. I thought that they were premature. I thought he was ahead of schedule. That's why you pay him. Now, you could, you could say, why are you paying him that money? Where is he going to go? You pay the guy for the job he's doing. You pay the guy for the results he's giving you. South Carolina, I think, went about this pretty brilliantly, by the way. When they hired Shane Beamer, you know, if it were Ohio State filling a job vacancy or Bama, they have a different set of criteria. They operate in a different stratosphere. South Carolina, they looked at their job and they realized, hold on, there's, there's a guy out there who's really hungry. We think he has the pedigree. Well, he doesn't have the pedigree. Scratch that because you got you to coach to have a pedigree at the head level. We think he's got the makeup that we want. However, he's unproven. And he's willing to come in here and bet on himself. So we will undercut on the front end. And then if he delivers and he's right and he bets on himself and it pays off, we'll handsomely compensate him. How great is that? In the coaching world, sometimes you got to throw a bunch of money at your candidate just to get the candidate, and you have no clue if you're going to get the results. South Carolina got to wait a couple of years, make sure they got some result, and now, well, they're kind of off to the races, except that here's the thing. Shane Beamer's making a lot more money now. I think he's in the sixes per year, and it's going to escalate every year, so good for Shane Beamer. Um, interesting to watch what the transfer portal is doing to South Carolina right now. And I, I don't know what the reason is necessarily that they've lost some big names. It may very well be that they more than replenished via the portal, and this is a dead story, moot point, move on. I will just say this. If you have it in yourself to invest to the degree that you're paying your head coach what they're paying him, that's wonderful. He is going to have to have more than just a fat salary to win long-term there. Okay, he's going to have to have the same kind of vigor and the same kind of all-in mentality that allows you to pony up the money you're paying him. 
He's got to have that in the form of collective or investment or it, you, your NIL's got to be better. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You got to be able to match folks out there. You got to be able to match what the other guys down the street, not Clemson necessarily, or not only Clemson. I'm talking about all around the SEC. You want to compete against Tennessee? You got to be able to do what Tennessee is doing. I'm not talking about one year. I'm talking about several years down the road. You got to be willing to do what they're doing. You got to be willing to do what Florida's doing. And so it's still very early. I know a lot of folks are still figuring this NIL thing out. And a lot of folks are willing. They just don't necessarily know how to funnel their money, how to direct their money. They'll get it figured out. If there is a willingness, I think they'll get it figured out there. All right, let's move on. Good pace here. Wow. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Um, we're in Los Angeles. If you're here tomorrow, we'll be all over the place, pre-game, post-game. We're going to do late kick from here Tuesday. A reminder, late kick on Tuesday is not going to be 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific. It's going to be much earlier in the day. Make sure you're following on the socials. Make sure you're checking the channel. I'll let you know probably tomorrow definitively what time that's going to be. I think, fingers crossed, we're going to be around 3 o'clock or so Eastern, noon Pacific, something in that ballpark. Don't write that in pen. Write that in pencil. Let's take a look at the bold predictions, shall we? Bold predictions revisited. What were you willing to wager your own money on in August, and did it hit or not? First bold prediction. If Purdue beats Penn State, they will win 10-plus games. That was the first bold prediction. Uh, here's the problem with that one. Here's the reason I loved it, because we didn't have to wait to the end of the season, obviously. We found out at the very beginning, they played a really good game, by the way, really back and forth. Where was I? I was in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, actually, watching that game. Well, Purdue did not beat Penn State. One of several close games that we got in that opening weekend, and so none of this happened. It just all went up in smoke. So, boiler, Aaron Knoxville, I appreciated the honesty. I appreciated the attitude. This one uh, went up in smoke early for you. Very close game. Thought Purdue had it, but it did not happen. Uh, nor did they win 10 games. Next up, another win total. This one also went up in smoke. South Carolina will win less games than in 2021. And I know, I know our audience very well. And those of you who are, are finding South Carolina less than desirable, I know you saw them open up and and they went to, I think, Arkansas and lost, and then they got railed by Georgia, and you thought to yourself, that season's about to crumble. That season's about to crater. Well, it didn't. Now, surely when they went and lost 38-6 to to Florida, you may have had every reason in the world to think that. What you could not have known, what they probably didn't even know, is, oh, what are they about to do to Tennessee? Oh, what are they about to do to Clemson? They ended up winning more games. I think they won seven last year. They won eight this year. They ended up winning more games. That's without the bowl game, by the way. They won eight regular season games. I thought this was a seven on the boldness scale because I thought they were going to win right at seven again. And they ended up winning one more. And they had a loss to Missouri in the middle of all this. They had a, a, a three-game win streak, and that included wins at Kentucky and against Texas A&M. Then they just lose to Missouri. But, um, man, it's just uh, so weird. That story, that South Carolina, the story of their year, very weird. What about LSU? This, this one didn't turn out very well at, at all. LSU going to go four and eight this year. This was the prediction, not from me. LSU goes four and eight. They finish last in the SEC West. Narrator, where did LSU finish first in the SEC West? And they went to Atlanta, and whatever happened in Atlanta is besides the point. That's a conference championship game. I put an eight point five on this simply because 
I what I thought was going to happen didn't happen. I thought Ole Miss was going to have a much worse season than they did uh, because I am a rumored Ole Miss hater. It's not reality, but there is a strong rumor on the boards that I am not an Ole Miss fan. I thought that could happen. I thought Mississippi State could struggle. Um, I did not see Texas A&M. I did not see that degree of struggle coming. Auburn, like there were certainly signs that Auburn was going to go in the absolute tank, which happened, and Brian Harson got fired because of it. LSU wasn't going to finish last. Now, I did not predict them to win the West, mind you, but finishing last was kind of crazy to me. So I put an eight and a half on that one, and they finished as far away from last as you could possibly finish. Next up, uh, there is no way to measure this, but there is a feel I have on it. Notre Dame fans will regret letting Brian Kelly get away. Now, here's what's interesting. If we knew two-thirds of this, if we knew the prediction, and we knew Brian Kelly's going to win the SEC West in his first year in Baton Rouge, but we don't know what Notre Dame did this year, you would think there's a lock on this. Like, this has got to be padlock stat, paper pop, all of the above. This right here has got to hit. They've got to be petrified that Brian Kelly left them, and then he goes and he's more successful down there. He wins the... SEC West in his first year, that's not really the way it is. Uh, Notre Dame fans are perfectly content, not satisfied, but very content with how this whole trade-off went and what Marcus Freeman could ultimately mean for him. Now, now think about this. If I were to tell you, okay, you predict that, Brian Kelly's going to win the West and Marcus Freeman's going to start 0-2, 0-3, I guess, if you go back to the bowl game last year, then you really would have thought, oh, yeah. Oh, they're going to hate this by the end of the year. They're going to be crying for Brian Kelly to come back. It's not the way it happened. Just not the way it happened. It's funny how these things work. It's why I maintain the stance that the whole Brian Kelly to LSU and Marcus Freeman to Notre Dame thing, it's one of the rarest win-wins that we've seen in terms of coaching moves or whatnot in quite a while in college football. I'm waiting on someone to show me how changes happen. Like you would think maybe in due time, Maybe the Lincoln Riley and Brent Venables thing works out that way, but but Oklahoma barely made a bowl game this year, so you can't tell me for certain that they just they're they're drunk on the future of their program. They love it, no doubt, no regrets. Maybe in time. Now we go from what I thought was really bold in a few of these to probably the least bold prediction we got through the entirety of the bold prediction series in August. How about this one? Herm Edwards will not finish the season as Arizona State head coach. I put a three on this, and I struggled to go that high. I had no faith that Herm Edwards was going to finish the season, nor did he. He got fired before the season ended. Uh, so this, I, I don't remember putting a grade lower than three on the one to ten boldness scale on any of these predictions. Yeah, Herm Edwards, um, it was so weird that they even let that season start the way it did, but they did. I, I look at Kenny Dillingham taking that job now, wish him all the success and, and luck in the world and whatnot. I'm not sure how that thing's going to play out from an NCAA perspective. I, I have no guidance on that, and I don't really think there's a particular amount of skill in forecasting what the most unpredictable group of people this side of college football is going to do. But Herm Edwards, man, that guy had no shot. There was no shot he was finishing the season. So I put a three on that one. Good bold predictions. Even on National Championship Eve, we still find time for bold predictions. this I'm looking at our feed right here. That's why I keep looking at the laptop. Tim wants me to say something good about Ole Miss. Phenomenal campus, Tim. Great staff there. The staff at Ole Miss 
And we were on the road all season, treated us about as well as we've been treated anywhere, which just means copious amounts of free food and access. That's really what that means. Um, is that good enough? I think that's good enough. They had a great year. Uh, Quinchon Judkins was one of these stories of the year. This is turning into an Ole Miss segment. I didn't mean for it to. I appreciate you guys so much being tuned in. Look, so here's what's about to happen. Uh, to, I would encourage you to check out CBS Sports HQ tomorrow because we're going to be doing coverage all day. we got Canel out here. Brady Quinn is going to grace us with his presence. So we'll be wall-to-wall. We'll have a ton of coverage from here. National championship game tomorrow night. Whatever happens, whoever ends up on top, we will be here. Late Kick Live from L.A. at some point Tuesday. Just, just keep your ear to the ground. Follow me on the socials, at Late Kick Josh, and I'll make sure that you know what's up. And we're not going anywhere after that. Train just keeps on rolling. Couldn't do it without you guys. Couldn't do it without our crew on the road. Gelby's been with me basically all year. And because of these lights, which are so bright and great, I can't even see them right now. I know he's back there somewhere. Thank you guys so much. Colin and Jesse are back in Nashville. We got our crew on the road. And I just get to sit here and talk about what I love to talk about for a living. And I appreciate you guys for making it possible. So for producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our entire crew on the road, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. God bless. Enjoy the game tomorrow. We'll see you back here Tuesday. Until then, we're out. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.